Welcome to the Tenant Podcast. I'm Todd Pearson here with my friend and partner in crime, Wes Brown. Hey, hey, Todd. Wow, what a busy week. I've just been insane. So, But it's good to see you, and I'm excited to be here. It's good to see you too. And how does insanity differ from any other time in your life? <laughs> Probably not much different with me. I'm a little crazy anyway, so... <laughs> 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 Actually, I think you're tame in your old age, Bandit. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that's oh. that's Wes's nickname, by the way, Bandit. So, Bandit. There you yep. go. The so Bandit will tell the sordid story. <laughs> Not tonight, though. <laughs> Not tonight. Oh, it's a new week and a new episode. But before we talk about art, I want to acknowledge the good folks over at New Magazine. That's N-U-E. New Magazine is our media sponsor, and they just put out the winter issue of New Denver. You can find the link to the issue on the Tenant Facebook page, along with the link to their new 2021 arts issue. Or if you are on Instagram, you can follow the new national edition at N-U-E underscore magazine and the Denver edition at N-U-E underscore Denver underscore magazine. And also, New Denver is putting on a weekend of the arts April 24th and 25th. So mark your calendars. I don't have all the details yet, but um, as soon as I get them, I will share them with you. I think it involves galleries, art, um, artists, restaurants, music, I think, but I... Like I said, I haven't got all the details yet. So as soon as I get them, I will share them with you listeners here in Denver. Our guest this week is Michael Burnett. Michael is curator and owner of Space Gallery located at 400 Santa Fe Drive here in Denver, Colorado. And if you want to check out the stunning gallery, the art and the artist that he represents, go to the Space Gallery website at spacegallery.org. Michael, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, your willingness to come on because I know you've had a kind of a crazy week yourself. So I appreciate your willingness to spend uh, a bit of time on a Friday evening to talk with us. Yeah, that's a good distraction for my children. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we need that and I can, I can relate. You're a gallery owner. You're not originally from Colorado though. No, originally from Edinburgh, Scotland which is where I studied and grew up and spent half of my life. Moved here in 2001. How does someone from Scotland end up in Denver, Colorado? It's a great question. So I originally came out here a couple of years before that to join a friend of mine who had gone to art school with, who was doing a kind of a gap year up in Vail, um, and she was working the ski season up there. And I spent a couple of weeks with her um, skiing every day and just realized that that was probably what I should be doing too. And so the very next year, I kind of applied to do a very similar thing um, with the same company. And uh, somehow they, they took me. And, um, and then I, I spent a year in Breckenridge and that was probably... 1999. God, sounds crazy saying 19. We're so old. We're so old. Oh my God. We are. Uh, when you say 1999, I think of Prince. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it brings back a lot of great memories. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I came to Colorado the first time, and then um, 
you know, I think um, after that season, I did a bunch of traveling. Me and my friend bought an old Volkswagen Rabbit um, and drove from Colorado um, all the way through Death Valley and down Highway 1 into uh, Mexico and drove all the way to Mexico City from Tijuana, which don't do that. That's a long drive. That took us about six days driving 12 hours straight. Uh, picked up my parents there and had had a little vacation with them. And Anyway, at the end of about three months of traveling, I met someone in uh, Honduras, and she is now my wife. Uh, and she's from Colorado, so she brought me back here. Wow, that's a great story. Were you done with your studies in Scotland? Because you're an artist yourself, and you went to art school, correct? Yeah, so I went to uh, the Edinburgh College of Art and got a degree in painting and drawing. And um, that, you know, really doesn't prepare you for much, but it was a great experience. And my contemporaries were really just an awesome group of people. Uh, There was probably 20 of us that were really super motivated and, um, you know, thought we were probably going to change the world, but really pushed each other. And uh, it was just a really strong, embracing environment. And it was just a great experience. And, and, after getting my degree, you know, I hung out for a couple more years in Edinburgh, you know, painting and trying to make kind of a, a meager living selling my work, uh, which was which was fun. Were you creative as a kid? Is that why you ended up eventually think, pursuing what you did? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I as far back as I can remember, which isn't my memory is pretty foggy, but I, I remember distinctly kind of looking at Disney uh, characters and copying Disney ca- characters endlessly. My parents bought me this um, little pop-up desk so you could kind of adjust the, the angle of it. My dad's an architect, so he was probably like, mm, I think my sh- son should do just what I do. So he got me one of those desks that kind of pop up and, uh, I, I used to draw pretty much every night, just kind of doodling and creating these these sketches. And I got pretty good at that. And I think, you know, when it came to high school, you know, that wasn't really my, you know, academics or not really my forte, but the art teacher, I think, really took kind of notice. And and I think he was he was the one that was like, you know, you should really think about art school. And then I think my dad definitely jumped on on board with that idea. And I really didn't have any other skills. So it wasn't much of a choice. That was pretty much, you know, the only way I was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like growing up in Scotland? I'm just curious because I've, you're the second person I've ever met from Scotland. And the other gentleman that I met was also from Edinburgh. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful country. And Edinburgh is just so incredibly well put together from all those years ago. It's very charming. I just remember, I mean, my whole life was kind of surrounded by sport when I was younger and I was always on my bike, you know, either going to soccer or coming back from soccer. Uh, I had a little BMX and I just used to take that everywhere. And then when I was in high school, I played every single sport under the sun and just, I loved all of it. I couldn't really think of anything else, but when I was going to play the next, you know, great sporting game. So that kind of dominated my, my childhood, um, just going from 
you know, one sport to the next, golf, uh, rugby, soccer, badminton. I actually did a, a year, my third year in art college was in Salamanca. So I did a, like a gap year, I guess you guys call it here, and spent uh, six months traveling around Spain with the university badminton team, playing in all sorts of great cities and, and traveling with them. Who knew? Like a guy from Scotland would end up playing badminton all over Spain. But it was a it was great part of my my education, just kind of um, that whole experience. I did not spend much time at the uh, Escuela de Bellas Artes, unfortunately. Um, I had too much fun just kind of exploring. But it was always something I think that, um, you know, I really enjoyed growing up and, and always, always loved sketching. So I think just coming back to, to that seemed to make sense. I think, you know, the rain is so dominant there in Edinburgh that, you know, every day just it's hard to get motivated. Like here you wake up every day is, is sunny and you jump out of bed and you know you can do pretty much anything that day. But there, it's just so oppressive. And all you want to do is go to the pub and drink. So it's hard to, it's hard to stay motivated. And I think coming over here was just this giant light bulb of, you know, you don't have to live under this cloud. You can, you know, you can do anything you want today. And that for me was like really just such a crazy motivation to wake up and be like, ready to go on on all cylinders uh so that was it was a huge change to my lifestyle and uh, i still still love just the colorado sunshine is amazing it is amazing we're pretty fortunate to live in this state i think and yeah and now there's been tons of people that figured out that it's not just cold and and dreary during the winter we actually have a ton of sunshine and it's a beautiful place to live so even those foreigners are coming over yeah foreigners god <laughs> We love foreigners. It's so funny, man. When I first met you, I had no idea you were from Scotland. Like mm. you're, I can hear it come out now. And I saw, I watched an interview on the internet that you did, uh, I think last summer. And I could hear a little bit of it, of the accent in there. But when I first met you, I had zero clue. So you've done well to get rid of the accent, whether it was conscious you know it, or not. You know what it was? It was just so hard explaining myself every 20 minutes to the next person with the accent. And I think I just... I think part of it was just trying, you know, to morph into, you know, not having to explain myself every five minutes. And it was much easier to kind of be incognito. And then the Colorado accent is pretty soft too. So I think we got that going for us. I don't think a Scotsman could probably pull off a Texan accent. You know, there'd be too much of a rub, but Colorado's soft and so is Edinburgh. So I think both of them combined, you know, it's not too different. So you met, you met your wife, you came back to Colorado. She's from Colorado. You marry her. Were you initially just shopping your art around selling your art? So my wife was the one who was like, what are you going to do here? You know, she taught um, fifth grade uh, down at the Y Edison charter school. Um, She had, some amazing kids end up doing a really fun mural in that school down there uh, with her kids, which was a total riot for a whole week. Uh, but yeah, I think I, I sold Cracker Jacks and peanuts for one day at Coors Field and realized that 
probably sustaining a job was was not going to be that easy for me out here. And and I think my wife kind of was like, well, why not open a place, you know, to showcase your own your own artwork? Because it's still been so fresh, you know, in my memory from, you know, that's what I was doing in Edinburgh. So um, that's what we decided to do. We found an old storefront down on 20th and Larimer and uh, Sam Fishman, the, um, the landlord, just had this complete wreck of a building. And we told him that all we needed was some hardwood floors and some white walls and some track lighting. And he was delighted because the tenant build out was, you know, relatively inexpensive. And so he threw those things in, in for us and, and kind of painted the front. And uh, we opened our first gallery almost exactly 20 years ago in April, 2001. And that was a great space. So for a long time, well, maybe six months, it was just me showing my own work and making it in the space. So it was a studio in the back where I could get messy with concrete floors. And then up front, it was just, you know, kind of a, a very beautiful old Victorian kind of storefront with this very simple interior. And, and I exhibit my work there for six months and, and we were just sort of breaking even and doing okay. And then people kept coming in during that time, you know, curious about the space and wondering whether or not they could show their work there. And so it just kind of grew from that. Uh, eventually we took on, you know, a few artists that we really liked the work of. Monica Aiello was, was one of them, um, who her and her husband are kind of, have been around Denver art scene for forever. And so it was a real honor to be able to show her work. And it just kind of grew from there. And now I think after maybe a year, we had five to 10 artists that we were showcasing. And we just started kind of putting together some programming and some curating. And, and those first years were pretty funny. I mean, we had really little to no idea what we were doing, like probably most people when they start a business. So our first concept when we had artists was, I think we, we rented wall space to them. A wall in the gallery was like $300. And then we would take like a 35% commission. So the commission was smaller, which was kind of attractive for artists who had not shown before, but then we were still able to, to make some, some money off of, off of renting the wall space. Um, and then in the back where I have my studio, um, there was kind of a, it's almost like a, on the other side of the wall, there was, there was two other studios that we kind of carved out. So we rented those out to, to make ends meet. And we parked cars during the ball games for 20 bucks a car. And that really, <laughs> during those lean times, man, that was like gold. And of course, during the summer, they're like, they have a ball game every five minutes. And those people would then walk through from the parking lot through the gallery, you know, occasionally, I mean, not all sports fans are into art, but occasionally we'd have some people that were kind of interested. So it helped, you know, just get a, let us get a foothold, I suppose. Yeah. That's a great way to supplement your income. My gosh. Yeah. Great opportunity. Yeah, it was good. Um, and then uh, we also did life drawing classes. So I taught life drawing. Um, I remember you could buy a 10 pack of life drawing classes for a hundred bucks. 
we had a great little community. Uh, my wife got pregnant, I think, before we opened the gallery. So almost immediately, we we were kind of going through that whole thing too. And so she was our she was our figure drawing model occasionally, clothed, clothed. But um, she would come through a model for us. We had these giant bean bags, and we kind of set up these different different kind of scenarios and uh, kind of cover the front windows. But it was really fun. Yeah, I remember all those students from back then. And it's funny because I was probably only like 26 or something. Uh, most of my students were older than me. But it was really fun. Good group of people. You know, it just kind of felt like, you know, we were starting to build, you know, a small community, which was fun too. Was there many people in that area, many artists working in that area at that time when you guys first well, started? Yeah. So at that time we had um, Core New Art Space, which is now I think on Ninth and Santa Fe. Sorry, they moved back over. They're up by. Uh, they're in West. Yeah, the Forty West. Yeah, uh, I think for a time they were over here, but they uh, they were across the street, and so we had all those people too that would come over and kind of frequent the gallery. And I think we try to coordinate, you know, with our openings so that we could share and more exposure. And then around the corner from us was uh, Highland Mather had had this incredible building uh, and gallery called Andenken, uh, which I think means thinking in, in German. Uh, and he and his wife uh, at the time um, had large studios downstairs and they're building in a huge gallery upstairs. And I think some of the, the downstairs studios were kind of live work as well. Um, I don't think the rules were too, too concrete back then. So people were doing pretty much whatever. So it was a really fun place to walk through because there was always something crazy going on. They had metal workers and, um, you know, fine artists of all types and all sorts of weird shenanigans and parties and, it was a good time. So we had that going too. And uh, I think between those three, you know, there was just enough of a presence that people felt like there was, there was a motivation to come down here. And that was before everything got really crazy with the Denver real estate market too. You could still find space that was somewhat reasonable at least. Yeah. Yeah. I think our rent back then was like 1500 bucks. Um, which seemed like a ton at the, moment, at the time. And uh, I think we were there two and a half years. And during that time, we, we took on artists like Lu Kong, who's an incredible figure painter. Um, he does these kind of very lifelike photorealistic portraits now. And we, we gave him kind of the first show I remember seeing, I think he'd entered a jurid show at CORE and I just thought he was, his work was incredible. So we asked him if he'd, if he'd like to show and, and yeah, so once we started having artists like that who were kind of selling work, um, my wife, after, after a couple of years decided because we'd had our first son, Finley, that it was probably better for her to kind of stay home and be mom and uh, me to really focus on the gallery to try and make it profitable. So we kind of made a transition at that point to her just staying at home. And then she got pregnant again. And then we moved in 2013 
or 2003, we moved over to the Santa Fe Arts District. There was a lady by the name of Jeannie King who opened uh, a gallery called Fresh Art, which is now, she owned that building that is now Dart Gallery. And in the front, there's a co-op gallery. Um, she had a gallery in there called Fresh Art and it was, it was really, you know, kind of a happening little gallery. She did, she did an amazing job marketing and, and promoting. And we opened the same night um, in the Santa Fe Arts District before it was really even the Santa Fe Arts District. Um, and then once there was me and Jeannie, Sandy Carson had been there forever. She kind of pioneered. And then uh, Macy Dorf, um, uh, artists on Santa Fe had been there forever too. And Chalk uh, was across the street from them. I moved in right across the street from Sandy. And so then there was five or six galleries down there and we, we moved to kind of form the art district on Santa Fe um, way back then. So that was, that was fun too. I mean, we were in a much bigger space. We had all sorts of studios in the back. Uh, we had some metal workers in the back. It was more kind of like that, that Andinkin, um, you know, gallery where there was just a lot going on all at once. Um, a lot of, lot of great energy, a lot of kind of like-minded people sharing ideas. Um, and uh, that was, yeah, 2003. And we were there for 10 years in that space, um, which seems totally crazy again. And we had a couple more kids and more kids. <laughs> was the original gallery down in the ballpark neighborhood, was that originally called uh, Space? Yeah, it's always okay. been Space. And, you know, at one point it was sort of an acronym for all the things that we did inside. So it was studios, private events, arts, culture, um, education. And so that's where kind of space, plus it was just a space for everything and anything. I mean, when we started out, like I say, it was studios, a place that you could do life drawing. We hosted events there, just basically anything to, you know, try and stay afloat. Um, so space kind of just felt like it fit the, fit the bill. Um, when you transitioned to the gallery on Santa Fe in the art, in the heart of the art district there, were you still painting? Were you more focused on the gallery side of things? Uh, yeah, I was still painting. I think, um, I probably stopped painting about eight years ago. Um, and probably part of it was the stress of going through this whole process to where, you know, where we are now, we've been here six years, but two years before that, possibly even three, we had bought the land down here. We were paying a lease on the land without even having a bank to finance the potential for building the building. So, and I was trying to run space down the street at the same time as paying the lease. So I just think it just got too much. It just got too much to try and paint as well. And, you know, you have to be in the right state of mind to paint, I think. Um, and I think I just I got to the point where I was just feeling too overwhelmed. So at that point, I think, you know, my, my entire focus was, you know, trying to get financing for, for what we've built here at, at 400 Santa Fe Drive. It took me six banks and I think a whole year and a half to try and find um, backing for 
for the funding uh, to build this. And it was just, it was crazy, you know, crazy amount of stress to where we just, we just didn't know. And we were pretty green, you know, and, and I think instead of asking lots of people, lots of questions and getting a good sense of things, you know, my, I think my kind of bullish um, youthful enthusiasm was just to try and, you know, beat down the doors and find anyone that could, could lend us some money. So um, again, I, I mean, the, the theme through all of our business, I think is just having the will to succeed, you know, and having the, the drive to try and make something happen. Because like I said, I mean, going through art school, and getting a degree in painting and drawing really doesn't prepare you for any of that. And so a lot of it was just kind of learned on the, on the fly. Even selling art is kind of a skill that, you know, I, I think it's hard for some to, to teach someone. I think you have to want it, you know, enough, just like sales. You have to kind of want it enough to, to, to make a success of it. And so it's, there's an art to all those, all those things. And it's taken me a long time to learn those things, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's been a really fun journey, but, you know, I think, I think kind of learning along the way has, has been my, my path. That space that you had down on seventh and Santa Fe, that was a beautiful space, but this new space that you have is just absolutely phenomenal. And, I feel embarrassed that I didn't realize that you guys had moved and that it was just about, a, I guess it was almost a month ago, first Friday at the beginning of this month, when I happened to walk by the gallery, I had been talking with a friend that wanted to go see this show that you currently have um, at Space. And I was like, oh, there's Space Gallery right there. I'm like, I have to go in here. I, I need to check it out. I was like blown away. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I it's definitely a dream come true. Like walking through this, this space, I still, I still pinch myself, you know, but it was, it was, uh, it was a really tough go. I mean, we had gotten financing from the contractor. I mean, the, the bank and the, then our contractor just was not holding up his end of the bargain. We end up having to fire him and finish the building ourselves. Um, so that, that whole period was just like, I mean, I, I lost a couple of years of my life, I feel like, and definitely learned a lot, but it could have gone a lot smoother. <laughs> <laughs> so did you learn basically by hard knocks that, or did you have like a mentor that kind of helped you guide you or some advisors? No, I mean, uh, definitely just, just uh, the school of hard knocks. I mean, you know, when I first moved to Colorado, before I opened the gallery, uh, I did some trim work. Actually, I think it was when we opened the gallery, kind of at, at the same time, we had a good friend of mine open a store right next door to the gallery called DC Works, and he did custom fabrication, um, just beautiful steel and woodwork. But to make ends meet, he, he ran like a, a trim crew. So all these new production homes that were popping up at that time, we would go out and we trim, I would trim a whole house, do all the doors, all the molding, hang the doors uh, and put a kitchen in, in about two days, just three of us, just running through these production homes, uh, knocking them out. And it was just, it was good money and it was um, fast and quick and we were young and, and could take it. 
in, in doing all that, I think I learned a lot about construction and just how things were built and how things go together. Um, it was, it was, it was interesting just to, to kind of work on these projects and, and see, you know, from start to finish these houses go up and see everything that, that it took. So I think by the time, and I did a ton of work on the, on the building at, uh, 765 Santa Fe, you know, we end up doing a lot of sheetrock and adding bathrooms and adding electrical and adding things along the way just to make them better as the business kind of improved. And I think I wanted, you know, the look and feel to be a little more polished. We just kind of transitioned and, and did all the work as we went. And, you know, by the time we, we got um, over here, I think, you know, I, I've been through a fair amount of preparation for all that stuff. And so it didn't feel too, too far away. I also kind of remodeled the homes that we were in at the same time, just as we moved, you know, as our family grew, we had to kind of move houses and we fix them up as we go. And just so that we could, we could keep, keep things uh, moving. So it, it felt like a natural extension. And I do, I love a project. It's been something that I've always, I just love a mission and getting locked in and trying to grind out, you know, until it's done. Uh, and so I think, uh, this was like the mother of all those projects all rolled into one. And, you know, it's still a project. Like there's a ton of maintenance on on this building and still have to kind of get in here. And we had one, uh, you know, during the deep freeze a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our pipes burst. And so cutting back drywall and fixing all that. And so, you know, in some in some senses, I think it's been good because, you know, I've saved a lot of money that way. And being able to to just get to a point where now, you know, I'm really able to, to benefit from it. And I don't think if I'd had that same grind that this, a lot of this would have happened. I think a lot of people will give up along the way because it just gets, gets too hard. But I, uh, I'm pretty, you know, strong-headed, I guess. A lot of tenacity. There you go. Something like that. Yeah. Stupidity. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's the best though. When you don't really know what you're getting into, you go into it totally naive to the situation and then you just figure it out. You know? Well, yeah, the learning factor is like to the power of 10, you know, because everything is, is new and, um, you know, you have to kind of solve so many problems um, as you're going and, uh, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy rolling up my sleeves and, and getting to the other side. So uh, for me, it's it hasn't felt like, you know, as much work as maybe it does for other people because part of me kind of likes likes that part of it. And I think a lot of it is about the end result and finding, you know, that you can find, you can create really beautiful things of something um, that, kind of a, a crappier hand that you've been dealt, you can, you can turn it into something really polished if, if uh, you're willing to, to put the work in. This all sounds like it definitely was very organic the way everything happened. Once you got into that space on Santa Fe, on 7th and Santa Fe, did you have kind of an, a, a vision of what you wanted to make space into at that point? So the way that that whole thing worked was when we moved in, we had the very front space um, of that building 
which is about 1,500 square feet, maybe 2,000 square feet, totally manageable gallery. And we were in there for maybe a year renting from uh, a guy called Patrick Ryan. Hey, Patrick. Um, he had a, an amazing design fabrication company called Goog, and he would build all, all these incredible things. He did the best uh, dip and grill and all sorts of restaurants and kind of steel and wood. I mean, a lot like my friend's uh, business, DC Works, but kind of on a bigger, bigger scale. So he had put in a really nice steel um, shop in the back and, and a wood shop upstairs in the back. So he was in there. And I think his at that time, he was starting to have kids. And I think he was just, he was starting to feel like it was just, it was a lot, you know, to try and manage. I think he had 10 staff and it just seemed like he had, he kind of lost the passion for it. Uh, it was just too much. And so he was kind of making an exit of the master lease. And so after a year of being there, the landlord who owns the building turned around and said, look, either either you're going to rent the whole space or you're going to have to move out. And to me, that was like, oh, my God, we just got here. Could we not have, you know, 10 seconds of breathing room first? Um, and at that point, our rent went from $1,000 to $7,000 or something crazy. And we decided to take on the whole building. And, and that's when we started renting uh, studios out. We found a really good tenant who had been a friend of mine. Morgan Brisky, who, who's this uh, incredible metal worker, he, he took over the, the metal shop in the back. Uh, we put up walls and created studios upstairs uh, where Pat's old wood shop was and finished the back gallery space. Um, oddly enough, Highland Mather, who had, uh, and Dinkin at one point, had been in there in that same front space running it as a gallery. So there was some interesting crossover there. But we just we just started to hustle and, and make it work. We got all of the all sorts of tenants kind of signed up and in there, all sorts of great artists. And then because we had a much bigger space, we we kind of focused um, more on private events too. And for a, a period there, it was a really hot little spot to get married. Um, I think we were one of the few venues where people could do pretty much. Uh, they could bring their own caterer. They could provide their own entertainment. We weren't gouging them. It was a really fair price. And it just booked up like crazy. And so for, for a good stretch there, we were just going crazy with events and, you know, curating shows and just trying to do all of those things all at once, renting out studios. And so the hats at that point were just like insane. Um, but, I really enjoyed the energy that it brought and um, I really enjoyed, you know, a lot of the people that were in the building. So it didn't feel too overwhelming because they all felt like, you know, part of the community friends who we had each other's backs. Um, and I think that was, that was a really a fun little stretch. Um, and then the rent just got kind of bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, eventually I felt like I could leverage all of that 10 year history of paying mortgage uh, or sorry, rent and, you know, take it to a bank and say, look, 
this is our track record. We've paid our rent every month on time for 10 years. And this rent that I'm paying currently is probably going to be more than a mortgage would be if you lend me this much money to build the building that I want to do. And so that's how we managed to convince the bank um, because, you know, we still didn't really have much income, you know, I mean, we had income, but we not for the sort of money that uh, we wanted to borrow. And so that was, that was our kind of bargaining chip that we managed to kind of use in the end to, to get a loan. And you said you had to go to a, a number of banks um, so was it hard to find a bank to like support you or did you have to use multiple banks to make the project work? Yeah. I mean, I think in the, in the beginning, I think because I was, you know, coming in a little sideways and probably a little hot, the ideas probably weren't completely galvanized. Um, but I did, I did everything in reverse. So I got an architect to drop the plans um, I had an engineer. I mean, I did all those things on the front end, which is crazy. Most people don't do that until they have the land and the loan secured. So I was able to come to the bank with these plans and say, look, this is a real, and, and my architect had created this really sexy rendering of the gallery. This, these are the plans. This is what we have in mind. This is what we're doing currently. This is how we're going to change, you know, to make it better. All of these things are making our business better than it already is. And we're already paying, you know, our rent. So a potential for making more money and paying your loan, you know, is massive. So give me the money. And, you know, I think a lot of people just thought that it was a little wing nut. So much of it is based off of what you have in your own bank account and what your assets are. And it's a really shitty kind of thing. I mean, I totally get it. Like, I, I get the stance that the banks have to have, but at the same time, it excludes so many creatives and so many people in our field from being able to, to kind of finance their dream. And... You know, I think it's just that perseverance. I was going to get this done. And part of it was like, I've already spent this money on this architect and, the, you know, the engineering drawings. I can't, I've told so many people about it. People are, were already like thinking about getting married there. And I was, I was talking about how their wedding could be in this fantasy space that wasn't even there yet. Um, so the whole way, you know, I was just convincing myself and convincing everyone around me that it was going to happen to the point where it actually happened. You know, I think there was a lot of belief that it was, this was going to happen. And, and uh, so it is still totally crazy to walk through here uh, and think that we did it. I'm still in disbelief sometimes when I walk up here, but it's a beautiful feeling because it's all hard-earned and well-thought. And I, you know, I think, um, but yeah, so, so that's how we managed to get the bank loan, um, a lot of convincing. And then since then, just because I love a project, we decided to get another space um, back in 2018. It was another total gut job, but we bought uh, an old kind of, um, warehouse and we transformed it uh, into kind of a new gallery space and that's called 
Space Annex. And uh, we opened that in May 2019. And right now we've got a show in there. We, we donated it to ARTMA, which is, um, which is a nonprofit that raises money for kids with cancer. And they're doing a little exhibit in there at the moment, which is really fun. That's so cool, man. So cool that you had this vision. And do you like being kind of a little bit of the underdog? Yeah, I mean, I just, um, I suppose, I think it, when you have a passion for something, it can make you kind of look beyond a lot of the hardships, you know, because it was definitely some tough knocks. But I think I love and was surrounded. My parents did an amazing job and just surrounding me with art. You know, when I was growing up, it was all over our house. And I can remember every single piece in the house, a great little collection. And it was, you know, it was nothing special, but it was special to me just because I grew up around it. And I think that's something that just became sort of inherent. And I think that I want to now pass on to people like to live without art is a really, you know, you're missing out. And I think a lot of people don't see it that way, but when they start collecting and they start bringing pieces into their homes, it's transformative. And it really, you know, that's what's so rewarding about my job is connecting the artists with um, the collectors and, and, and building, you know, these pieces into uh, their lives that they never, they were never thinking about. And, and it's, you know, transformed their, their every day. And uh, I think that's what, that's what keeps me rocking. Um, and, and I think that's been a, a substitute in a, in a way for me making my own work. You know, the, the substitute of, of selling other people's is almost as rewarding as making my own because I see that connection. I see the end result and I see how it transforms people's lives, not only from the artist's perspective uh, of making the work, but, you know, pe people putting it in their homes and, and getting great joy out of it. So it's been a great thing. I could totally see that Be getting excited, connecting people with other people and, and selling the artist to the collector, you know, the, the artist that you believe in and seeing their career trajectory and being a part of that. I think that'd be really exciting. It's been awesome. I mean, some of these artists we've, you know, we've shown for like 10, 15 years now and, you know, they're, they're really good friends and, and that relationship is, is really strong too. And I think you're right. Like seeing, seeing that journey uh, and just watching these artists grow and, you know, coming back from a residency all inspired by new travel experience and creating these things that are just, you know, you can see that they're, they're up in their own game. You've seen where they've come like the last five years and I think to watch that transformation is so rewarding. So space is now, it's a collective of different spaces, correct? Um, you have the, ga the main huge gallery at 400 Santa Fe Drive. Then you have Space Annex, which is up on Cherokee, right? Like 95 Cherokee, something like that? Yeah, exactly. Cross and then you have another space in Rhino, the Space yeah, so Satellite? satellite space that one uh kind of fell onto our laps um huge thanks to jody roth cooper one of our artists uh for connecting us with the developer down at that space 
um, these developers wanted to put in a, a gallery, partly as a, a lure for their leasing office, which is kind of a smart move. But they were looking for a gallery and, and Jody got a, a big commission through them to do this really cool wireframe rhino that sits down between 33rd and 34th on Larimer, right outside the gallery down there. And he introduced us and, and they came through here and they were like, yeah, this, this looks like it would be a, a good fit um, for, for what we have in mind. And they built out the walls kind of like we have them uh, here where they, they just float. And we got to kind of decide where the track lighting was going to go and how the floor layout was going to go uh, to benefit, you know, the, the gallery. So they worked with us from the early stages to, to make sure that it was going to be a good fit. The beautiful part is that they have just given us the space, um, which is kind of in today's world, pretty amazing. I mean, we just don't, we don't have to pay any kind of uh, rental for it. Well, $1 a month is, is what we pay. So to have a space in Rhino, you know, down there is, is pretty amazing. And especially for that cost, I think, Part of the thing that's been a little uh, tough down there is just, you know, with with the virus, you know, and everything kind of being closed, especially being right next to their leasing office. They haven't been able to really keep their doors open um, because of the restrictions. So it's all by appointment. So it's not like a lot of people are really going through that space at the moment. But we do have a beautiful show by Patricia Aaron that's in there right now. Um, and she's show, showcasing some of her beautiful encaustic paintings and that'll be up uh, I think probably through the first week of February. So if you're down there, it's between 33rd and 34th on, on Larimer on the right hand side, beautiful little spot. So That's yeah, we got, we got lucky on that one and, and we're just excited for when restrictions have lifted and, and Rhino kind of gets back to where it was, where all the pedestrians kind of, coming out to enjoy you know all the restaurants and amazing murals that are down in that neighborhood which i would anticipate summer is going to be pretty hopping down there i think you're right i want to talk about the the big gallery uh at 400 santa fe that was a prefab building and then you had your architect kind of redesign it around that to make it look as cool as it is. I mean, it's a very modern looking building. There's nothing else like it on, on Santa Fe. Yeah. So I think in the design process, you know, we wanted something that had this amazing span, um, you know, kind of volume in the space that uh, we could achieve pretty easily. And, and really the pre-engineered steel buildings are the way to go as far as that goes. I mean, we've got, I think the inside walls are uh, 44 feet across and, you know, to try and do that with like wooden trusses or anything else would just, it'd be, it'd be really hard. And so the, the pre-engineered steel building ticked a lot of those boxes in terms of like looking modern, clean. Uh, the, the roof is all made out of um, this four inch insulated panel. Uh, so it's very energy efficient. These buildings have, walls are 10 to 12 inches thick and it's all packed in with uh, insulation. So it's really very energy efficient for such a large building. And um, 
I, I just always loved the combination of steel and, and glass and concrete, um, those kind of three elements together. And, and the architect did a great job. I mean, we had to work with the city in, in creating what's called transparency with the storefront. So we had to bring the storefront glass in. That was not part of the original plan because we originally wanted more, uh, more wall space. But um, in hindsight, I'm glad they did make us do that because, you know, obviously it's great eye candy at night just to look in the space um, and see what's going on. Uh, and then the architect brought in those huge kind of ceiling clouds that hide a lot of the, the kind of internal structure of the space. So it just kind of uh, takes out a lot of the, the noise that, you know, the visual noise that, that might dist- uh, detract from the artwork. All the mechanical stuff. Yeah. Have you always been drawn to kind of the modern aesthetic? Yeah. Um, I mean, I live in a, an old Victorian home from 1910. Mm. Um, uh, and we've got two other homes that are 19, oh, 1890s. I like the Victorian era too, but I think in terms of presenting art, you know, there's nothing better than just kind of the building taking a backstage. Um, so I think in terms of showcasing art, the, the modern aesthetic really works well. I mean, to the point where we we decided kind of not even put baseboard in, but just kind of finish the edge against the concrete. Um, you know, we try and take out as many extraneous visuals as possible. Like all the light switches are hidden, all the powers in the floor. So there's no, no outlets either, either on the floor or on the wall. I think just over time, I suppose that when I think about it, things have gotten cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, you know, in terms of how we present the work. And I think it's most of it just comes down to, to really not being distracted when you're looking, looking at the work. I think that's the best possible scenario. And you said you had floating walls, right? So do they move? Yeah. So those walls just, they hang off of a, a cable at the top. So it was just a really easy way of, of bringing walls in but having them sort of not look too imposing. You know, a lot, a lot of gallery walls have wheels on the bottom, which look cool, but I always found it kind of distracting. And so these floating walls have nothing. They're just, it's a, a piece of two-inch steel tubing with three-quarter-inch steel tubing welded on the inside and the sheetrock screwed on either side of it. So the whole thing just kind of becomes this, clean wall sandwich. Um, and so when we want to move them, we jack them up um, with a floor, uh, car jack and roll carts uh, under either side, lower them back down, take the pins out the top. So they hang off of the, um, the trusses that are in the building, which are all the same height dangling down. So we can hang them from any one of those trusses, which, which is really nice. And then we did this kind of the same thing at, that satellite, we did the same thing because we have in the annex space, we have the, the advantage of these giant steel beams that take up the whole span. So again, the floor space annex is totally wide open. Um, and 
part of the, the beauty of floating moving walls is that when we have a big events, we can move all the walls out of the way, keep the artwork on them, but then we open the whole space up for events. So part of it was just a practical solution for how do we present the work, but then when we, when we want to kind of open it up, how do we, how do we move those out of the way? Yeah. I love how clean it looks. I'm one of those people that would be wandering around and I would see a light receptacle and it would bother me. You know, I would just be like, uh, I hate seeing that light receptacle. So I love that you, uh, have it thought out to that, that degree, how to make it clean and how to make it work, you know, as far as with these events and stuff that you hold there, which I think is a brilliant business model, not only, you know, in your previous space where you had events, but running out studios, that seems like a, a great way, a great business model for a gallery. It might not work for everybody, but. Yeah. I mean, a lot, I think a lot of galleries will have some, you know, extraneous uh, means of, you know, some, some do, uh, you know, framing as a way of kind of offsetting, you know, a lot of their costs, obviously that makes a lot of sense because it's part of their business model when they're selling something, they can offer these, these framing services. But for us, you know, I mean, part of it is just, I think coming out of uh, Europe where it feels like there's just less waste, you know, all the way around people live in smaller places and they're used to, you know, making the most of things. I think that's just part of my, my DNA and so having this, this big open space that just sits empty half the time doesn't make any sense. So if you can fill it uh, and people can really enjoy it for, for weddings, then um, it's a no-brainer. I mean, part of it is, is, you know, having to deal with the headache of, of moving sculpture and, and catering to kind of the moving landscape of an event. So it can be stressful in some regards, but definitely you know, the offset with, with extra revenue, um, coming in is, is, is worth a headache, I think. And you host any number of events, weddings, any kind of parties, anniversaries, bat mitzvahs. Um, we do a lot of nonprofit events. Um, we do proms. I mean, you name it, we've, we've had it there. We do a big one with, with Thule, the rack company every year. They're doing uh, another one with us this year. I think, um, you know, as long as the outdoor re- retailers, uh, I think they just announced the dates um, for that. But they, we take down all the art. It's the only time that we ever do that for an event. But we actually completely gut the gallery of any artwork and they bring in all of their all of their um, cool product and kind of create this incredible showroom for a week. Um, it's really only two days, but it takes them a couple of days to set up and a couple to break down. But the last time they brought in like seven different vehicles and they put all of their, you know, boxes and racks and, you know, on top of these, these cars, we, we had an old 1972 Volvo, with the first Thule rack that was ever built. I think it was wooden, um, you know, with metal rails. It was really cool. And they, they brought in a vintage Volvo because that was the period, you know, the time. Talk about a beautiful car. You know, there's, there's something kind of rewarding about seeing those things come together. There's a real art bringing, you know, a cool event like that in and, and working with a space and transforming it. So 
I can appreciate what they're doing. And so much of their design is clever and, and well thought out. So um, it seems seems like a fun synergy to to watch it come together and be part of it. I mean, we definitely draw the, the line um, at, at some events. Um, you know, back in the day when we were when we were hustling, we, we probably did a few events that we shouldn't have. And um, we, we learned that raves probably don't go too well in, in galleries. <laughs> and so, you hosted a couple raves in, in, so, in your older space? Way, well, so the way that we did it, when we, I mean, again, it was just about making ends meet. But um, we, we rented out the, the basement of the, the space gallery. There was nothing down there. And so nothing could get damaged. It was just concrete floors and, and the sound sounded amazing down there because, you know, it's such an enclosed space and you couldn't hear it from the street because it was in a basement. So, you know, we've, we've tried it all at least once and we don't do those anymore, although fond memories. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kind of transition here and I want you to talk about the artists that you represent and the kind of art that you show at space. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think our, our real focus is kind of become abstract work. And I think it's just a natural extension from, you know, what I really enjoy making myself. So we focus on artists that use kind of new and innovative uh, media and surface treatment um, in their work, things that are kind of tactile, um, people that are working with uh, unusual ways of applying things, not exclusively, but it seems like I'm definitely drawn to that kind of work that has this mystery of how it's made, how it comes together, paired with, you know, just a beautiful thing to look at. Um, and also, you know, people that are just kind of pushing the boundaries in, in terms of um, creation and, and what they're willing to to do to, to create some beautiful work. And, and so I think that's, that's become the focus is, is that kind of abstract work that, that has some, some uh, real intrinsic beauty, but also uh, a real mystery to it uh, in terms of how it's made. Um, yeah. And how many artists do you represent currently? We probably have about 60 artists on our website, which is a lot, but some of those artists, um, you know, have uh, taken part in, in maybe one show, you know, over three or four year period. Um, some of them show every year. So it really depends. Uh, I think the real kind of active body of our, our artists is probably 30, you know, 35 artists that are really kind of, um, you know, we're constantly showcasing a lot of the other artists we've definitely shown in the past, but probably less frequently. So although it looks like a lot on our website, um, some of them are, are not as active. More recently, I, I've really started kind of um, looking kind of all over the country just for, for artists that I feel like I have a real kind of synergy with or a real affinity um, with their work. And, and so over the last three or four years, we've probably added uh, maybe 10 new artists um, from all over the country that, and, and Canada and Mexico as well uh, that, that I, I feel really strongly about their work and their practice. Uh, and that's been really fun, you know, to, 
to bring someone in that you don't know uh, and hope that as much as I like their work, everyone else is going to like their work too. You know, I mean, it's, there's no guarantee in showcasing someone's work that the other people are going to like it. But I think that's, that's become really fun. Uh, a fun part of my, my job is just kind of researching those people finding out who I think, you know, the Denver market doesn't have um, in terms of uh, exciting uh, visual work and, and bringing that into our market so that, you know, people can enjoy someone, you know, that they've never seen from Philadelphia or from um, Brooklyn or from uh, Chicago that, you know, might be big in their city, but have never shown in the Denver, Colorado area um, and are totally new to the market. Um, and so it kind of brings, I think, sort of excitement and also fun for our artists to show with them. I mean, the, the way that we set up our programming is that we have three or four artists show at one time. There are four independent or three independent solo shows, but there's definitely a relationship between the work of the artists that we show together. So there's a, a loose underlying theme throughout uh, each of our exhibits that ties them together. So do you develop that theme or is that? Yeah. Yeah. And often it's just, you know, uh, a good visual, visual tie in. Sometimes it doesn't have to be more than that, but I just feel like there's a good, there's a good connection. I mean, uh, in, in a very pared down way, our next show is called blue. And it focuses on two artists that uh, use indigo um, in a, just a, a gorgeous way. One of them, is a fiber artist, Wendy Quinia, who um, went out and studied under a master uh, indigo dyer in, in the Midwest and, and has kind of all sorts of exciting tales about, you know, that process and, and dyeing uh, her own material and then weaving it thereafter into these incredible forms. Um, and then another uh, artist, Madeline Dodge, who uses indigo, uh, as well she paints on steel and does these beautiful kind of washes with indigo in that case you're looking at two or three artists that are using a similar process but it's completely different artwork you know and, and coming from from very different angles and so how do you so in, in that show we're sort of highlighting one particular uh, material a medium but completely different processes to, to come up with, you know, intriguing artwork. So it's, uh, that's a, that's a really fun part of my, my job curating those artists together and finding these relationships and pairings, and then, you know, presenting the work, uh, in a really sort of enticing way. And, um, I think is, is really as much of, of what I enjoy about the, the job as, as anything. That's an artistic endeavor in itself, trying to put together work, I imagine. You know, I think that'd be yeah. a really fun endeavor. It's great. I mean, a lot of it just kind of sits in my head, but, you know, I see so many visuals every day. And I think, you know, in, in my own mind, I think they're sort of cataloging themselves together, you know, almost subliminally until, you know, those connections are, are more concrete and then they present themselves um, in an in an exhibit. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm constantly cataloging these artists and, and uh, making sense of, 
of their uh, of their imagery, but it's all it's all done, you know, almost almost subconsciously, you know, at a certain point uh, until it manifests itself, you know. It's and it, it's funny how those things can kind of unearth themselves, um, you know, uh, in, in the, the strangest times, you know, you might not be thinking about it, but, but all of a sudden you kind of see that connection uh, and you knew why, you know, those two people needed to be together. It's so nice that you have this gallery space too, that it can accommodate multiple artists at one time. The, yeah. show, that you, the show that you currently have, you have three artists in there and they're, it's all phenomenal work. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the, the current show that we have up, um, Tycho Chandler, who is uh, a printmaker. She also is a fiber artist and has worked with Tyvek, um, printing on the Tyvek and cutting up and you know creating these three-dimensional forms with it, which are, which are incredible. But the current exhibit just showcases her, her prints, uh, mono prints that she made up at Omi Graphics uh, up in Steamboat. And... She's an artist that, you know, again, we, we kind of saw her work, uh, I think, at a jury show. And I just felt like there was something really unique and, and really promising about it. And that was maybe six years ago. And to watch her kind of transformation in terms of, I think part of it is just when people have an opportunity to showcase their work, maybe where they didn't before, I think they reach a new level, a new commitment to bringing that, that practice um, into, uh, you know, more of a, a priority than it's ever been before. You know, it's sort of the cart before the horse. You know, you can work in, in a vacuum your whole life and, and uh, not have anyone see your work. But I think some of these artists just need an opportunity to showcase their work and when they do it's amazing the transformation you know of just having having that um all of a sudden they you see that their their voice was although you saw potential in it it just it's like they got a megaphone when they when they're given the gallery as as the backdrop because they they see an infinite amount of potential even in the their own work i mean for some people it's very daunting but others take it and really I think it brings out the best in the artist because they see that space and they're like, I really want to do my best work and I want to showcase the best representation of myself. And, and I think it, it pushes them forward into, to a, to a new level. Yeah. I was, I was totally taken with her, with her work. Uh, all three of those artists that you currently have on display right now in the gallery that you're exhibiting, they're phenomenal. So yeah, I got off on a bit of a tangent there. So that was Tycho. <laughs> and then Diane Sioni is a steamboat artist, uh, artist from Steamboat, who um, is also a printmaker and a painter. Uh, and she started collaborating with her uh, son more recently with his ceramics. And so she has, I think, probably two years worth of work in that exhibit. And it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing to see um, the whole main ex uh, exhibition space given over to one artist because it's such a huge space, but she, she has more than enough work to, to fill it in. And she's done an amazing, amazing job with the exhibit. And then upstairs we have uh, Leopoldo Guspinera, who's a Mexican born artist uh, who lives uh, in Germany at the moment. His 
husband um, is over, he, he was in the military and stationed over in Germany. And so he's working over there, but he uses um, handmade papers and he cuts them up, slices them down and, and pieces them together uh, in such a beautiful way. And he's sanding the paper. He's, he's using these sort of archival glues to stitch patchwork these pieces together. And I think, I think those are some of the most incredible things in the, the exhibit at the moment. Uh, Cause you're just, I talked about mystery, but you're totally dumbfounded on, on how he made these, these pieces. Uh, they're just gorgeous. I think that the theme that ties all these artists, these, those artists together is just kind of the subtlety and intricacy in his pieces and how they, how they kind of delve a little deeper into, into their practice. And you can kind of see the minutiae. So you get kind of this macro, um, this overall view of the whole exhibit, but then you really zoom into their work and there's just so much going on. So I think it's a beautiful show. It's definitely worth checking out. It's the last week, next week. So by the time this airs, it might be over. See, there'll be a couple days left that you can see this show. So if you're in the Denver area, do yourself a favor, get down to Space Gallery and check it out because it really is a, a phenomenal show. Every single one of these artists that that Michael just mentioned, their their work is stunning. And I will probably try to get back down there before it ends because I felt like I didn't get enough time that night to really uh, spend the time that I wanted with the work. Um, is space is space the largest gallery in Denver? You know, I, I really don't know. Um, it's got to be close if it isn't, as far as... Never really thought of it um, in, that, in that term. But um, we have a nice outdoor sculpture garden, which uh, sometimes people can overlook. Uh, but, you know, if you go through the door on the south wall of the gallery, it wraps around the backside. Um, and we've got a lot of outdoor sculpture out there that is really um, worth taking a look at. You talked about seeking out artists as of late. Is that pretty much the way it goes from here on out? Like you are the ones that are approaching the artists that you want to see in your gallery, or do you still entertain artists coming to you and, always, and showing yeah, the work? I, I think always. I mean, I, you know, I've understood from the the other side of that kind of trying to approach a gallery, and uh, you know, and being rejected, and and that's tough, but. I think I'm always, I'm always open to looking at people's work and, you know, at least, you know, if it's not a good fit, you know, suggesting another gallery that they, you know, they might fit into or, or, you know, giving them some constructive criticism that, that will hopefully help them push a little further into their work. Yeah. We get approached, you know, every, every week we've got, we've got new artists from, um, from all over that, are interested in you know at least starting a conversation and opening you know a dialogue um and i mean it's it's tough because I, I feel like with the amount of artists out there there needs to be a thousand galleries in denver for them to really you know be able to to showcase all the work and it's always it's always something that i'm conscious uh, of and and it's something that is tough in in regards to what qualifies this artist to show in your gallery and, and not me sort of thing, or um, why, why will you not, you know, show this person? And I think, 
I'm just drawn to the work that I'm drawn to, plain and simple. Uh, that's really all it is. It's not, you know, for any sort of notoriety or I, I think I'm always sort of driven by my gut. And if I love uh, someone's work, then I'm, I'm going to want to try and showcase that work, you know, no matter where it is um, or how hard it is to get. I mean, getting that work from Germany was a real chore, but it was so worth it because such an amazing technique and and something that I think people people really enjoy checking out. But it is tough to know that there's there's all these people that that don't have that uh, that venue to show their work. Um, their work, you know, is great, but but they don't have that opportunity. And you know, opening a gallery is tough. And so, you know, I, if we can't show it at the gallery, I mean, I remember when I first moved here, I I showed at uh, a couple of salons, I showed a coffee shop um, before we opened the gallery. So, you know, I don't shy away from those things. I thought that was some some really good exposure for me. I sold some work. Uh, so I think there's something for everyone out there. Co-op galleries are are awesome. Um, I think. Uh, Pirate has been around 30 years in Denver, which is maybe even for, I don't know, pretty, pretty long time. There's a new one down the street called Dark Gallery. Um, so, you know, my hope is that people can, can find their platform. What advice would you give an artist that is looking to get into a gallery? Well, I think uh, we get a lot of people approach the gallery via email or online who have never never physically been there and I think it's it's hard for them to gauge you know from afar exactly who the director is who the curator is trying to understand their programming I mean you can see on our website what kind of work we show and then we'll have someone approach us that you know does really beautiful landscape paintings they're representational but they're they're gorgeous, but we're, you know, that's not really our forte. And so I think understanding who you're reaching out to and understanding what their program is and understanding what their price point is, uh, I think really kind of getting inside what they do as a business really helps the artist that's approaching, approach it in a, in a much better way. I always appreciate people who have done their homework understand who we are. Um, and so it doesn't feel like either of us are wasting our time, you know, equally for, for the artist. If, if it's not the right fit before you even go in there, then, you know, it's, it's probably not, not worth pursuing. So I think making sure that they understand what they're getting into for a start. Um, and then I, I feel like if you're straight out of college, then probably you need to kind of work your way up into um you know, a gallery environment by showing in other places first. Uh, I feel like every artist should try and, you know, get some exhibitions under their, under their belt, wherever that might be, so that they can understand the process of it before they try and approach something, you know, that might be a little out of their, uh, out of their reach. Um, even just, you know, hosting or presenting my work in a, in a, uh, a hair salon, you know, you have to frame it, you have to price it, you have to, you know, we created cards for it, we had an opening. There's all that kind of understanding that goes along with it. Um, but you can't really gain that understanding until you go through that process. 
And I think it's really good to get a few exhibitions under your belt like that, where you're learning kind of all those ropes um, so that you can kind of get a better sense of, of what you're getting into. That's great advice. What do you see as far as um, when artists approach galleries, what are some of the mistakes do you think that artists make besides not doing their homework? Yeah. I, I mean, I think people will come in to a gallery artists. Um, yeah. Some, some mistakes might be coming in with a whole portfolio of work and, and expecting um, the people, the director in there just to kind of drop everything and look at their work. Um, of their their busy schedule. So it's, it's a mistake I made. I tried to walk into Rural Gallery when I first got here with a five foot by eight foot painting at the back of a truck. And uh, Robin Rule at the time kind of laughed at me. And she was gracious enough to look at the painting, but sort of um, in so many words escorted me out. <laughs> <laughs> So, so believe me, I've been, I've been there. I tried too. Um, and I think understanding uh, kind of where you're, um, what, what you're getting into is pretty important. I imagine that's kind of a, a little bit of a irritation when people just expect you to drop what you're doing. And maybe you're in the midst of like getting ready for an event or changing a show out or what have you. Do you have any pet peeves as a, as a, as a curator, as a gallery owner? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a good one. I mean, just people, I mean, I hate to speak badly of anyone that's, that's trying their best to, to make it happen, but someone who's going through their phone trying to show me pictures of a painting that they just created, you know, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit with, um, you know, the best way to, to approach. So that's, that's a, a bit of a pet peeve. It's just like, you know, first of all, it's impossible to see anything on, on a phone, you know, represented properly. So that's one that kind of gets me. And then just people that, um, you know, maybe, maybe don't understand, um, the, the stresses of the day that they, they can't see that you're, you know, the obvious kind of signs of, of um, you're trying to do something else. At the same time, I understand, you know, I understand from both sides of it. I think it's one of the things that they probably don't teach you in, in art school as far as how to, you know, how to approach a gallery. Maybe they do these days, but, you know, if you show up with your phone and you want to show... <laughs> You want to scroll through your Instagram feed to show the director what you've been working on. Probably not a great idea, right? I, yeah, probably not a great idea. Yeah, I, you know, I, I get it. It's, uh, I mean, I think the gallery world, you know, certainly before I got into it, had this like, it's almost like this mystique, you, you know, or taboo, you know, people don't even know whether or not they're welcome in a gallery. And in New York, maybe you're not even welcome in the gallery. But I think part of it is is um, you have to kind of push those push those boundaries yourself just to understand what not to do. And and so I I get it. I mean, I think uh, hopefully people can kind of you know learn from their mistakes and and put it behind them. But I think approaching a gallery is a tough one, and I think. Um, I think going through a co-op first and just kind of understanding how, how galleries work is a really good way to, to cut your teeth. I want you to talk about gallery etiquette. 
I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff over the years doing this for 20 years. So is there anything that people should adhere to or think about when they go visit a gallery to look at artwork? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's important to just respect the work that goes into creating an exhibit. Um, and so touching the artwork is, is probably a big no, no. Um, even taking photographs of the artwork in, in our um, current kind of photo obsessed world, it's always nice to ask, you know, if you're allowed to. Um, and I think um, keeping your noise down, like people come in and, and they'll have a phone call and, and they'll be in a meeting for 30 minutes in our gallery. And, you know, we're not their office, you know? Um, so that, that can be a little frustrating. Um, so those are, those are things that, that are probably not good to do. Uh, and I think the best thing to do is if you're ever not sure about something is just to ask, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. There's no dumb questions, right? Like, right. Right. And, and I think the picture thing is a big thing, right? The photo thing these days, people, you know, they want to go snap pictures of where they're at and what they're seeing. Well, and I think, I think a lot of, you know, even museums have kind of eased their policies on those things. I mean, you see people walking through museums, taking photographs, and is that going to be uh, more accepted as, as the kind of age of the image is, is everywhere? Um, it seems, seems to be like, I remember you know, walking through some museums in, in Paris and, and you weren't allowed to break out your phone, never mind trying to take a photograph. But now it seems like some of those restrictions, I think, have been eased even in, in museums. You know, you see people walking around taking photographs. So I think it's becoming the new normal. Yeah. One of my things is patience because I, I just went and, oh, I didn't just go, but I saw the Mexican modernism exhibit at the Denver Art Museum and people are in a hurry and I don't want to be in a hurry when I look at art. I like want to stand, I want to stand in front of a piece of art and just take it in. And it was interesting because I, I did an art, um, a day out with a buddy of mine to go see art and we were at a gallery and actually they had taken the time to put a dot in front of each one. And the director said, the artist wants you to spend at least 30 seconds looking at the piece. Interesting. Yeah. Before, before you like move on or whatever. And there was nobody else in the gallery. And this is something I do all the time anyway. Like I want to sit there and, and kind of take it in because I don't think you can just, you know, do a drive by and get a sense of what's going on. Got to really have to, you know, stand in front of the work and and contemplate it for a little bit. I did that with Tycho's work when I came and saw the exhibit that you have currently at the gallery. Like I and I went through there probably three different times looking at different pieces. There's a lot to see, and uh, it's pretty easy to overlook things, you know, when you're when you're caught up in in uh, kind of a time crunch. So I think that's a that's a great. But yeah, a great point. I think it's worth really like committing yourself to kind of not to be interrupted, like turn your phone off, um, just completely get into the zone. And what I like to do in, in gallery exhibits is, is look at the, the work first and then maybe if there's a statement or a bio, come back to that and just, you know, instead of reading that first and, and having that kind of, um, 
inform the work. I think it's better to kind of uh, absorb the work first, make your own interpretation, and then and then see what the artist had to say about it. I love that. I think yeah. that's right on. I do that so often where I don't read the artist statement. I go look at the work and then I'll come back to it. So, yeah. So somebody that's not really into, uh, or maybe just beginning to really experience abstract, um, art, what is, what are some things, some elements that you can suggest for the, the viewer to look for or to experience in, in the art? One thing that I really like to see is just, uh, you know, a sense of history in the work, like um, often like to see maybe where something was painted over and edited. I really enjoy where artists leave part of that discovery exposed so that um, you can kind of see some of the struggles that the artists went through. You know, even if it gets to be fairly polished as a work, I think some of those um, some of those mistakes and some of those changes are better left in there um, as something that you can you can point to as markers as as kind of a a triumph or or a failure. You know what I love about abstract work is is often kind of the the contrast between things that are really thickly painted and thing areas that are left you know almost untouched really fine marks versus really crude ones. All these contrasts, I think, in my mind, are, are really fun things for, for good abstract work. To be successful, I, I think a lot of those contrasts, um, you know, make it more interesting. Um, you know, you might have a huge area of the canvas that totally intense, but then there's an area that's very quiet, you know, uh, as, a, as a respite. I think uh, those are things that I look for are little markers that that kind of show the the artist's history with the work um but also things that little surprises that maybe weren't intentional um but that were really successful so it's hard to put your finger on Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's so much abstract work out there um that you know it's also kind of for someone who's somewhat new to it, it might seem totally overwhelming. But what I would say is just be true to your initial reaction. And, and if, you, if you like it, try and break it down and understand why, why you like it. And look for, for the things that, that really are, are working. Maybe it's just a combination of these two colors together that are vibrating or, you know, the fact that, you know, all down the, the left side, you know, it's, it's all, you know, black and white, and then it's all color over, here. you know, there's, there's just little things that I think over time, you come to appreciate things that you, you enjoy in a work. And um, I think those are the, those are the things that, um, that make it, make it fun. But I think you can also as you, you come to understand, and, and probably I'm in a unique position where I see artists every year create new bodies of work, but where they're pushing themselves to like maybe an uncomfortable situation, but it, it becomes a real breakthrough. And I think, I think for a lot of artists, it's, it's pushing beyond that comfort zone, which is the hardest thing to do because you get, 
you get into this rhythm of painting um, and you, you get comfortable painting a certain thing and it works, then why change it? And I think the hardest thing is to break beyond that to, to get to something that is much more challenging, um, but ultimately a lot more rewarding. Um, so that's, that's the magic of abstraction. I think it's, it's constantly pushing yourself to, to be uncomfortable to get to the next level, which I think a lot of people have a hard time doing, understandably, because you're, you're literally going against your own instinct. But I think that's what makes the best abstract painting. So it's a tough one. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of times I'm even known to <laughs> really struggle with abstract painting. And um, so it's nice to hear like what to kind of look for. So I love that, the idea of contrast. I think that's yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's just for me, what, what kind of gets me excited about work is, is, is showing these you know, those things that, that highlight that, those contrasts, I think probably it becomes more visually stimulating because you're seeing these highs and lows, you know? Um, and I think that's, those are things that I look for, but you know, everyone's different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. What would you say your role is and responsibility is as a gallery owner to both the artists and the collector? You know, I, I think, um, for the artists, it's to promote their work and ultimately try and sell it. The artists have put a huge amount of time and effort um, into creating a new body of work. So in my mind, when the work comes to us, they've done their part in terms of creating the work. Our job is, is just beginning in terms of, you know, like promoting the work, uh, marketing it and um, exhibiting it. And um, ultimately, if the artist has really put all of their effort in, then, then we have to reciprocate and do as much work as they did in terms of trying to find, find a, a new home for it. And there's nothing more rewarding for an artist to know that their piece has found, you know, someone else who appreciates it as much as the artist did. So it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate end goal. Um, but, you know, I think... In Colorado, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people grew up surrounded by artwork um, like I did. Um, and so I see a lot of new collectors who, you know, have all these questions who don't know what they're getting into and, and need, you know, some guidance in terms of pricing and starting a collection and who's to say that, that it should have this value. Uh, you know, we've had several people recently who have bought things that, you know, want a certificate of authenticity or, or a bill of sale. And that's something I think that, that most galleries should provide with their works um, anyway. I think for the relationship to work well, there has to be a lot of trust. Trust that, you know, when the work gets to the gallery for us, we're not just putting it up on the wall and hoping it sells. We're actively reaching out to people. We're taking it out to clients' homes we're taking it to presentations for commercial sales and we're, we're trying our every effort to, uh, to move the work and, and place it because that's, that's ultimately what the, the relationship is about. The trust that the artist is going to make great work and has put all their effort into creating it and the trust on them or for us um, to, to do our best effort to try and sell it. So I think that's, that's, that's when it starts working, I think. 
Do you work with the artists as far as pricing their work or do you let them set that? Yeah, I do. I help them out. Some artists, you know, have it all figured out and um, have created enough of a kind of market that I think it makes sense. They, they already, they know what they want to mark their, their work at, but I mean, that's, that's a question every single exhibit, you know, what should we mark this at? What should, what should we price this at? You know, what's the, what's the going rate for, for this? And so I think it's pricing is a, a tough thing to establish. Uh, I think it's really hard to come down. So it's better to, to uh, build yourself up slowly. And, and, you know, like Tycho, when she first started exhibiting work with us, uh, her prints were maybe $500. And now, you know, in this current exhibit, we sold five and they're, they're 2750, but it took her six years to build up the price to get to that level. You know, each time there may be 15, 15% increase, something like that. But her work has progressively gotten better and better and she's put more, more and more time into it. So naturally it kind of, I think it makes sense that the price kind of starts to build as her career and her dedication go up to. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors that go into pricing and it's not just kind of a slam dunk on how many hours did you put into this or, you know, uh, I think there's so many different, different things that, that we think about when we're pricing a work, you know, whether that, that artist is, is being collected by a museum, um, how well they sold the year before, are there, are they in, you know, other markets, uh, in the U S typically we like to keep all the pricing the same throughout. If artists have galleries in, in six States, you don't want one uh, gallery selling a work that's half the price, but the same size of, of another one. So keeping the market, you know, stable throughout is really important too. So there's a lot of communication that's going on behind the scenes to make all this go. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think the, the artist and I communicate a lot and what I love to do is, is go do uh, studio visits, regardless of whether or not that artist is showing. I think it's really good just to see what they're doing, you know, where their head's at, you know, how motivated they are, factors that are going on in their life that might be preventing them from creating work. I mean, all these things that, that kind of go into just the, the human being too. Like these people are, are not just out there creating their they've got their own lives too and so i think it's important to understand their their kind of psychology too and and understand them a basic human level as important too because we're all we're all human beings and um sometimes you know we just need a little compassion so i i think there's a there's a ton that goes into it and some artists are you know really hard to work with um but often it's because you know, they've had a really rough go of it in some other environment or some other factor is playing into that. And so you have to kind of, for me, I have to get to the bottom of that to understand where I'm at with this person and why it's, why it's difficult. And if, you know, if I can't work with that person, then it's not going to be a good relationship. There's no point in continuing it. But if we can understand why and we can get to the other side, then I think that's also part of the job is is to get inside those artists head a little bit and just make sure that you know 
we're we're on the same level. So I, I think, yeah, I think there's a ton that goes into. Can you talk about as a gallery owner, you have a ton of odor overhead and not only it's not like you're just taking in this work and hang it on the walls and then having a show for these artists. There's the promotion behind the scenes and working with collectors and there's a lot to it. I imagine you have some employees, but there's a commission or a split that you guys work off of as far as uh, yeah, I mean, how this most, all works. Most galleries, um, commercial galleries are 50% commission, you know, some in New York might be 60, 40 um, favoring the gallery just because their overhead is so astronomical, but 50, 50 is pretty common. And then there's also a pretty common split with, with um, you know, art consultants or designers or architects, um, when they kind of factor into the sale too. So a lot of those, uh, those things are sort of industry standard. Um, but, you know, there's always different factors that play into that. My last question for you, Michael, and I'll let you go. Do you spend a lot of times going to these art fairs? No, I've, I have not been uh, to many art fairs. And I think part of it is just um, my f- free time is just totally consumed with my family for the most part um, and, you know, enjoying their, their company. So um, part of it is just, you know, not having the, the bandwidth for it. I think actually those shows is a whole science unto itself. And, you know, I never really, um, really got into it. I think partly because the fees are so high and you have to understand your market to, to get into those fairs in the first place. If you're going to spend $20,000 for a booth, you want to know that coming out of that, you know, you can at least make your money back and make some really good connections. And I think for me, it was hard to really have the confidence um, that that was something that we could pull off. I feel like every year I get closer to doing it because we were building collectors all the time and, and they're all over the country. And so, you know, it's taken me a long time to get here, but now I feel like in any city, we probably have five or six people that we could invite and it would be worth doing. And of course, you're going to meet new collectors. But again, that expense is just something that I could never pull off. That's a lot of money to shoulder up front. It is. It is. And, you know, I got four kids to send to college. And so I just felt like that's more of a priority. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, man. Definitely. I had no idea that um, the cost that was involved, I was just curious, you know, that I had seen that, you know, galleries go to these art fairs nationally or internationally or what have you. I was curious if you'd done it, but yeah, I'm with you. Like that's a hard, that would be a hard pill to swallow. It's a lot of cash up front, like you said, unless you know for a fact that you're going to at least break even. It's a big gamble. There's a lot of people that do it very successfully. I think David B. Smith is a gallery that I really respect in in uh, Denver, and he is, you know, he's a big proponent of of doing the the art fairs, and it's really been successful for him because he kind of really understands his market, and I think he's he's a you know ahead of me in terms of just being able to market to the right people before he goes out and does these things, and and. Uh, you know, he's, he's got the savvy to kind of uh, make sense of it. So, you know, I'm impressed when people can, can uh, make it work. Uh, Oftentimes I think, you know, for them, it's, it's more lucrative than, than just staying, staying home. But we have a really good strong base of, of, of local collectors and, 
I've honestly never felt, you know, the need to kind of go out to another city and, and try and find them. You know, we've got lots of people that come to Colorado to visit. So it's like pulling those people in when they are visiting, I think is, is uh, as powerful for me. But every gallery is different. Hey man, I really appreciate you taking time with us this evening. And yeah. um, my pleasure. Sorry, I was a little uh, disconnected, but um, hopefully uh, we got somewhere. And uh, I appreciate you guys doing what you do because, you know, this is probably all just because you're passionate about it, you know. And uh, so bringing a, a new perspective to people that are listening is, is all important and, and making them understand a little more about the businesses is awesome. So I appreciate what you do. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, thank we'll you. you. We'll have you yeah. on again sometime. We'll talk about one of your upcoming shows. We'll have you on again and, and we'll talk some more art. How's that sound? That sounds awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Take care. For the Tenant Podcast, I'm Todd Pearson. And I'm Wes Brown. Have, have a great, great week. week.